Yes, it is. Title this morning is To the Church. Uh, before we dive in, a couple more little items. Uh, as we speak, uh, the Moscosos are over in their church uh, at Metro, and this is their last Sunday um, there. So it is a, well, what we experienced uh, not that long ago, you know, it's a sad, glad day. All right, and so they're walking through that. Uh, they will be moving to Titusville this Saturday. Uh, could use a couple able young backs. We're looking for some young backs, all right? And so um, we need some help. Uh, that'll be 2 o'clock. Well, we're shooting for 2 o'clock this Saturday. You can see me on that. Um, and uh, was away this week uh, with Aaron Osborne, Phil Corson, and myself. We were working on just Grace Partnership. It's a planning retreat of sorts and uh, working on our conference that will be coming this February. So we'll obviously be talking more, much more about that in the weeks and months to come, but I just want to encourage you. Uh, I don't know the date offhand, but somewhere late fe February, uh, we will be joining together over at Metro as a partnership of churches and title of the retreat this year is Mission Matters. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. And then if you would, please be in prayer um, for me this week uh, in that we'll be going out of town for a few days this week as a planning retreat, study retreat, planning out our next series. And so I try to do that, staying local, and it doesn't work. Um, so get out of town, get away from all distraction. Um, which, by the way, our next series will be First and Second Samuel. All right, that's what we're looking at, and that will come sooner than you think. Uh, we'll start that early January, so please be in prayer about that. Let's pray and let's dive into God's word. Father, I just want to lift up the Moscosos and lift up Metro right now, and just ask that you would comfort your church, your bride, Lord, encourage her. Lord, in this transition that they're walking through. And I pray that you would bless and comfort and care for uh, the Moscosos in their move that's taking place this week. Lord, um, may we as a church just so warmly embrace them and bring them into our church life, our lives together, Lord. So please care for them. Father, and uh, we pray for the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, what we do right now, what we turn to is no vain thing. Lord, as we open up our Bibles, as we look to your word, Lord, again and again, we want to say we, we sit under it. We do not sit over it. So speak to our hearts this morning. In doing so, build your church today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Paul, here in 2 Thessalonians, this is his second missionary journey. He's visiting churches, planting churches. He's writing letters. And one such letter he writes is to the church that's living in this vibrant, busy area called Thessalonica. You can snag a really good idea of the Thessalonian church by reading Acts 17. 
uh, in particular the start of Acts 17, um, where Paul, we find Paul fleeing for his life um, due to the persecution uh, that's taking place there in Thessalonica. Paul then, having fled, sends letters back to that church there in Thessalonica, this young church that continues to be under great persecution. And he's helping them to grasp some things. What does the life in Christ look like when being persecuted as you're waiting for his return? He's going to show them that it is a life of faith that grows, love that increases, and a perseverance that endures. The believers know that Christ is to return. But while they wait, they're being severely persecuted. It has to have them wondering, do we have this right? Has God forgotten us? What are we doing wrong here? What are we missing? Paul writes to them, and you might consider this as a a big title over this little letter, stand firm. Stand firm, church, stand firm. In the face of the persecution, as you wait for the return of your Savior, stand firm. So, point number one, to the church. Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To, to state the obvious, this little letter is to the church. It's to the church then, it's to the church now. The church is the called out people of God who are, it tells us, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, our Father. While it would be true to say God, your Father, that's not the verbiage Paul uses. And so when he speaks of our Father, he's putting the, the pluralness of our relationship, the plural fact of our walk in Christ, that he is God, our Father. Sure, it's true, he's God, your Father. But that's not the point Paul's making, is it? It's that he is our Father. And that speaks of community, that speaks of our plurality, speaks of the church of Jesus Christ. So right out of the gate, Paul is giving us, if you recognize this, Paul is giving us these little drops of gospel water when he says, our Father. Not just anybody can say, well, everybody does say, right, our Father, but to say it as it ought to be. There's a sense of belongingness. God is our Father. To all those who repent of their sins and come to saving faith in Christ, God is our Father. Not true of everyone walking the face of the earth. Is true of those who are here this morning and who have accepted the atoning work of Christ for your sins. Yes, your sins are forgiven and he is our father. Praise be to his name. 
To say he is our father is also to say we are his children. Gospel drops of water. We are his children. He belongs to us, but we, right, we belong to him. We belong to him. He is our father. We are his children. What else does that say of us? We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so all of these are just these little, you know, we, we, we're reading through the Bible and we just kind of, okay, Paul, Spanish, Timothy, yeah, this, that, and the next thing. Let's get, on to, let's get on to the good stuff. Well, the good stuff, when it comes to God's word, is all of the words. <laughs> and right here, our hearts should be stirred as he dives right into gospel content for us. This is what the church is. It is the called out people of God. And while much of evangelicalism today is trying to distance themselves, let's distance ourselves from the church. Let's deconstruct this. Let's deconstruct that. I just want to say, without apology, without any regret, I don't know who the next celebrity pastor or singer or person who's trying to get famous on YouTube that's going to be deconstructing for us this week. I just want to say without apology and regret, I love the church. I love the church. I love that I'm a part of this introduction right here. This speaks of my and your redemption in Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes it possible for any of us to say, you're my father and I'm your child and we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. So to the church, he says, in God our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's he's saying this is identity. This is who you are. You are in Christ. Or we could say, you are in Christ because of Christ. And because of his work on the cross, because of his reconciliation, because, because he received the justified, right, righteous judgment of the Lord on his shoulders for our sins, we are now able to say, God, you're my father. I'm your son daughter, brothers, sisters, which appropriately takes us to verse two. Grace to you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And peace, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, That's the one plus one equals two moment of verses one and two. Grace and peace to you. For God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, to, to you, to you. It's not from you. You don't, you don't create this grace and peace. You don't earn this grace and peace. It's just to you. That's what grace does. It's what grace is. When we understand the gospel rightly, we're not bringing anything to that table. It's just to you divine initiative. Grace and peace comes to you because of Christ's atoning sacrifice. It is from God to you because Christ laid down his life 
Because your life outside of Christ is not grace and peace to you. Life outside of Christ lacks any real sense of grace and peace. But in Christ, because he paid the debt for our sins, because all our sins are forgiven, because we, the undeserving, are recipients of his grace and his peace, because he received the right justified judgment of God on his shoulders that he did not deserve, he stood in our place. And so, church, I just want to say to you, well, Scripture says to you, grace and peace to you. They're not token words. It's not just, hey, how are you? Good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, too. No, this is gospel drops of water to dry souls this morning. Those, those of us who are weary those of us who are just dry at different times, those of us who um, know gospel truth, but, but right, did, did, as we were singing that one song that I am forgiven, I just sat there and said, we don't know that right now. We just don't. We are far, far too quiet right now. Like, there's, there's just a sense this song is not landing on our souls right now. Because if it was landing on my soul right now that all my sins are forgiven, my response is probably more worshipful. And I'm not trying to say louder noise is more worshipful. I'm just saying I think we were dull this morning. And maybe it wasn't any of you. Maybe it was just me. The gospel lives in these introductions. It's not token. It's not meaningless words. Number two, we ought always to give thanks. Now that's a little different. That's a little different than how Paul usually thanks God. He usually states something like, I thank God always for you. But here he says, we ought. We ought to thank God. Trinity, we're a part of that we. <laughs> we ought. We ought, he is saying, meaning we have an obligation here. We are obligated to thank God for the people who are sitting in this room. We are obligated to thank God for each other. We are to think a certain way about this gathering about the church. Why is this an ought to moment for Paul? Well, because of verses one and two. Because of verses one and two, because of Christ, because he's not saying we, we ought to, to wait to be thankful. You know, the church is just a mess. We... We ought to be thankful when the church gets herself cleaned up. We ought to be thankful when the church gets perfected. We ought to be thankful when the church gets everything put together. When it no longer hurts people, we ought to be thankful. When it no longer sins against one another, we ought to be thankful. No, none of that. We ought 
to because Christ has done. Meaning when we are thankful for the body of Christ, for one another, it's a reflection. It's a reckon. Can we just say to all the deconstructing going out in evangelicalism today? Duh! She's a mess. That's not the point. The point is Christ has redeemed, is redeeming all of us who are the mess. So I want you to look at the mess that I am and the mess that you are and the mess of your community group. Welcome to the mess. Bring your sin to the mess. It's what we are. And when we are thankful to God for each other in the mess, what is that? That is to say Christ. Christ. Look what Christ is doing in you and in me. I thank God for you. We ought to thank God for one another. So look at the person to your right. You can go ahead and do that to your left and just say this. You're a mess. You're a mess. Some of you going too, too long there. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, I've been waiting to say that for a long time. Thank you, God. You're a mess, and we can be a mess together. Amen. Praise be to God. Because the person next to you who is a mess is saying something to you this morning. And what that person, if they are redeemed child of God, they're saying, the grace of God, the grace of God. Here I am, bringing the mess to the mess, grace of God, saying something to you about the mercy of God, saying something to you about Jesus, Trinity, let's not neglect this. We ought to. Always give thanks to God for you, brothers. Then he tells us three reasons why he's thankful. Let's look at those. The first he tells us is that they are growing in faith. We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because. Thanks, Paul. Why are you always ought to be thankful? Well, because your faith is growing abundantly. Now, I want you to hear something from 1 Thessalonians. So if you're new this morning, we preached 1 Thessalonians before the summer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. This is Paul praying, and I want you to hear what he's praying. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray more earnestly, night and day, that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith? 
bounce forward. Second Thessalonians, the next letter, same people. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And so we come to this second letter, and it's like, well, you wrote to a friend, and you said to your friend, hey, friend, I'm praying for you for this. And then you turned around later, and you wrote another letter and said, hey, friend, I thank God that has been answered. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying in the first letter, we're praying. We hope to come supply what's lacking in you. What's lacking? Faith. Second letter, we praise God. Your faith is growing abundantly. That's just so beautiful. He has answered their prayer. And so he appropriately, I thank God for your growing faith. Trinity, that's what faith does. Faith grows. That's the point of faith. Listen, don't know where each of us comes from, different backgrounds, this or that or the next thing. There's a lot of teaching that goes on out there about faith. Hear me. Faith is not a magic wand. Let's wave the magic wand by saying the perfect words. As long as we say the perfect words, that becomes the magic wand. As long as we speak those out in the universe, as long as we keep repeating the right word, oh, that word was wrong. Let me change that word. I got to say the right word. I got to convince my own heart, say it enough times to actually build a conviction. And we, we, we start to think that's what faith is. Faith is not faith in your faith. Thank the Lord, by the way, I would be in trouble. I, I'm that dad who's saying, I believe, help my unbelief. Faith isn't in faith. Faith has an object better than, a greater object than your faith. The object of faith is God. So to grow in our faith is to what? Grow in our knowledge, in our understanding of who God is. Sorry, it's not some spiritual, feely, touchy thing. I didn't feel it. Okay. <laughs> faith is factual. God is the object of that faith. Here's the cool thing about that. You want to grow in faith? Study the word. Study who God is. Spend time in your Bible. It's really not a mystery. Why do some people grow? Why do I remain stagnant? Why am I deconstructing? Faith grows and it grows in faith for an infinite God. Faith isn't stagnant. Faith isn't passive. Faith grows. Saving faith. Wonderful. Great. But that's not all. Saving faith is not the end all. And so I want to ask you, church, what are you doing to grow your faith? As you grow in your knowledge of God, you grow in your faith in God. 
Now, I wanted to, I meant to, before leaving the house, bring a stack of books, some favorites, some knowledge of the holy, Tozier books of just books that help us to dig into who is God, the attributes of God, the character of God. If you would like some recommendations, see me afterwards. Or not, spend time in this book. Spend time in the Word. Mark it every time you see a character of God on display. I can, I think I can promise you, it's so much more than we're seeing. Grow in your faith in God. How? C.H. Spurgeon says, if you would have your little faith grow into great faith, you must feed it well. This book is how you feed it well. Feed your faith, friends. None of us in here have arrived. None of us have exhausted who God is. What a silly notion that we think, oh yeah, I've read Matthew, I've got that down. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, no, none of us has not only arrived in the entire thing, there's not a book in the 66 books that we could say, oh, I've arrived, I've mastered that one. Every one of them is revealing God. And as you grow in your knowledge of the Holy One, stirs your faith. Your faith grows. Psalms 1 puts it like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, it doesn't deconstruct. In all that he does, he prospers. A growing faith, this is the roots of your walk in Christ. And it's such a beautiful picture, Psalms 1, that that tree is planted by the streams of the water. Roots. Put your roots down deep by spending time in his word. Do you need help? People are here and they want to help. Want to walk together? Let's walk together. You're saying, I don't know where to begin. Find a brother. Find a sister. Find a coffee spot. Sit down around God's word and walk together. It's not about Oh, he knows more. It's it's not about it. Let's spend some time growing in faith, growing in our knowledge of who God is. Grow your faith. How? Well, the word is one. Two, live needy. Live needy. Live, better way to put it, live weak. Recognizing. You already are weak. We all are. Recognize how weak we are. Live needy and weak, meaning recognize that every one of us on our best day, you see, we tend to think, oh, on my worst day, I need grace. You know what? No, on your best day, we need grace. 
We just don't even know it. This drives us away from faith in self to trusting and faith in God. So 2 Corinthians 12 tells us, Paul, speaking of his thorn in the flesh, comes to this great classic verse that many of you are familiar with. He says, but he said to me, God said to Paul, my, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness, not in your strength. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Grow your faith, how? Spend time in the word and live needy, recognizing. And next, be in fellowship with other believers. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Are you growing in faith? What life changes do you need to make to begin God, help me to grow in faith. Next, he says that, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Now, that's stunning. Did you hear? Let me read it slower. Did you hear what he just said? Because faith is growing abundantly, and this is why we ought to thank God always for each other. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. That is stunning. What an amazing thing to be said over a church. That the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. That is radical gospel. We are not only united to Christ by Christ, we have unity with one another because of Christ. Can you imagine, this is, I don't know if you remember, we preached Acts 17 to launch us into First and Second Thessalonians this, earlier this year. So that's a long time ago. But one of the ways I was trying to help us get our heads wrapped around this town, Thessalonica, and the church there, this place is a hub. It's like our New York City. Travelers in and out, and there's reasons for that we unpacked. A long time ago, we won't get into that. But the idea here is the socioeconomic differences that exist in a town like this are just grand. And when I read that, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing, it tells me in that socioeconomic difference is being crushed at the cross of Christ. Racial differences are being crushed at the cross of Christ. Ephesians 2 puts it so well. For he himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The world has nothing to offer in comparison to this. How are we going to fix the racial divide? Only in the gospel. 
And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those of you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What a scripture. What a scripture to speak to the mess of our day. Welcome to the church. The called out people of God, the redeemed in Christ. The world has no answers for the things that divide us. How silly and embarrassing when the church doesn't bring this kind of answer. We don't offer a lesser answer. We've got no greater answer than the cross of Jesus Christ is what what reconciles us not only to God, but to each other. The dividing wall of hostility. Of course, Paul to the Ephesians there was speaking of Jew-Gentile hostilities. Crushed, he's saying, at the cross of Christ. Here's a non-prophetic word. All right? Here's my non-prophetic gift. There's gonna be new reasons within the next year for us to not like each other and not like humanity. New reason. Who would have ever thought if I told you two years ago the church will be arguing whether or not to wear a mask? Are you, Tim, out of your flipping mind? Yeah, people will leave churches over one or the other. Wait a minute, wait, wait. Have we lost our way in the woods to what he has called us to? Not saying don't have an opinion. I'm saying love your brother and sister who has a different one because you have been brought together. Something bigger has happened than agreement about a mask. Something grand, something eternal has happened. You and I have been reconciled to God our Father through Jesus Christ, and we are now His children. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. The dividing of wall of hostility has been crushed at the cross. There will be new reasons for riots and wars. There will be new reasons. Who knows what will come up in the next year as a reason to shout down a minimum wage worker on the other side of a cash register? Wait, what are we doing? The world has no answer. But Christ crushes the dividing wall. When we raise the dividing wall, We work against what Christ has provided. But the church that is verse three, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Wow. That's the mark of the gospel over the church. John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you you also are to love one another. 
Faith in God can be tangibly seen, and one of the ways we see it is through our love for one another. Verse 4, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. That's an interesting phrase. For or because your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. We're boasting about you to the other churches. We're telling the other churches, that, check out the Thessalonians. Check these guys out. Look at them. Even in the persecutions, they are enduring. Does that surprise you? Paul's boasting about them, that they're excelling to such a degree that he's telling the other churches. You know that Thessalonian church, they're steadfast in their faith. They're, they're enduring in the afflictions. The boasting doesn't come in a vacuum, meaning when he boasts of them, what? He's boasting of Christ in Christ. Paul is glorying in the faith that is abounding in the face of the persecution. He is he's saying, my boasting of them shouts in their persecution that God's grace is sufficient for them in all that they're walking through. They're being persecuted for Christ and they're standing firm in the faith in the face of that adversity. And that says more about the glory of Christ than it does the glory of the Thessalonians. I wanna be like the Thessalonian church, standing firm in the faith, loving others in the face of the adversity. Is that you? Some think, I need more faith to believe that the suffering will be gone. Well, the Bible thinks you need more faith so that you might endure if the suffering isn't gone. They're enduring, persevering, standing firm, steadfast in the suffering. And this is because of their faith in Christ. Faith didn't waver when adversity hit. And I'm saying to us that this shouts the glory of God more than it does the glory of the church. Well, if the worship team would join me, I don't think I'm gonna get too far on this last point. So just very quickly, verse five. Verse five, probably a good launching point into next week anyways, or in a few weeks. We have a guest next week. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. This suffering that they are going through is making them worthy of the kingdom of God. You know, there's two views of suffering. One is avoided at all cost, right? I mean, that's the one I want to sign up for, right? Like, I really uh, don't like suffering. Take the path of least resistance. We're all about that. But there's another view. Scripture's view, suffering is God at work in the believer. God is at work in the midst of the suffering. It is Joseph. You thought it was this. God intends it for this. It is Romans 8.28. That all things 
do work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It is 2 Corinthians 12, in which we already read. It is James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Why? Because it's producing something in you. It is 1 Peter 1. It is 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 2 and 3. We sent And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Ah, wait, did he mean destined for this? Yes, because he's more uh, more definite. He's more considering of our holiness than he is our happiness. He is all about growing you and me. Praise be to God, even in the suffering. It's just a recognition of the grace of God. He didn't leave me to myself because without the suffering, where would I be? Where would you be? God help us. So Paul, to the Thessalonians, just puts this big stamp across the letter. Church, stand firm. As you're being persecuted, while you're waiting for the return of Christ, and you're having, wait, what? Why is this continuing? Stand firm. Let's stand together.